This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Well, all right. We're back for another episode. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Go ahead. And so are we going to start up. now? <laughs> yeah, we, I'm, yeah, I'm here. I think we're ready to rock and roll. Let's perfect. do it. <laughs> How's it going, Dwayne? It is going fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing good. The sun's out today. It's oh a God, beautiful yes. day. I saw that you got to get out and do a little bit of work on your greenhouse. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we're all going to be complaining tomorrow. We got our... <laughs> Whole hoop house reskinned. Uh, it's like a brand new structure now. Tomatoes are going to be super happy inside of it, and we're going to be sore tomorrow. <laughs> Definitely sore. All for good cause, though, Indeed. because you guys are starting up the farm stand here soon, aren't you? Yeah, actually, the farm stand is going to be open this weekend. It's going to be open from ten to two. We're going to have uh, limited veg at this point, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, as we can see outside, Mother Nature starting to work with us. So we'll have more and more every week, right. and we'll have plenty of plant starts. Plenty of plant starts that are looking for a home. Uh, I love watering my plants, but when the greenhouse is this full and there's so much to do, I, I want to just, you know, get homes for them. Let them get in the ground and start right. growing and doing their thing. Right. So if anybody's looking for tomatoes, for lettuce, for uh, a plethora of veg, head on over to the Vets in the Farm, please. <laughs> awesome. Well, you want to introduce our guests for the podcast today? All right. So today we are here with Jacob Schmock the owner and operator of Well-Grown Farms. Thanks for being here, Jacob. Hello. Thank you for having <laughs> me. I'm very excited. Yeah, so we already kind of dived into the whole conversation here <laughs> so before. We had yes. a pre-interview before the interview. Yeah. <laughs> a good, good chat. Pre, yes. You know, kind of get the... So all we're going to erase up. all of that from our minds <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so our listeners can Perfect. hear what we were talking about. So, Jacob, can you go ahead and just introduce yourself and tell our listeners what Well-Grown Farms is? Uh, I am an owner operator of a small farm, right? In little South or right near Spangle, a little South of Spokane, um, named well-grown farms. We do indoor grown microgreens and, uh, you know, veg or, you know, different types of herbs for grocery stores and restaurants. Uh, we've been doing it since 2018. So we're sneaking up four years, roughly speaking. Um, and it's me, uh, my mom, my girlfriend, and my sister and my dad. And we all collectively put in time to the farm. Yeah, you got to love those family units. And you all get along? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, going to say, you guys aren't like clawing at each other's face uh, no, or anything we, yet? Because my family <laughs> No, we, we get along really good. And, um at the end of the day, it's like we all have to have Christmas together. We all have to have Thanksgiving. So I think everything's kind of filtered through that, you know, making mm-hmm. sure people are enjoying each other's time, um, even when we're working. You know, that's kind of the big one because, yeah, you know, family dynamics, they can kind of they can be a little tough sometimes. <laughs> but it's it's all we're all having a good time doing mm-hmm. the farming and stuff. And um, I think everybody's kind of happy where where we're at currently. So that's good. Are you guys from this area originally? Um, my parents are from Montana. Okay. And they moved over here. I don't even know when, but uh, I'm from Dayton, Washington. Okay. So just like that north-south Palouse corridor is kind of where we've been. And we moved up here, I don't even know exactly the day, but I was 12. So 16 years ago, because I'm 28. And uh, we lived on the South Hill for a year. And then we moved out into Spangle and been you know, on that property ever since, but not originally from Washington. I am, my parents are all Montana natives. I mean, I think we have like a hundred cousins and, you know, aunts, uncles, and I think 80% of them are still in Montana. So I guess we'd say we're from Montana. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So why and when did you guys decide to go and get into microgreens? Uh, it was it was a hobby for a little while, but it wasn't microgreen specifically. Uh, I was going to school over at Eastern 
Mm-hmm. And I was in an engineering program for a couple of years and I decided to kind of switch, switch my majors a little bit because the career field didn't look very good. So I was constantly online looking for different ideas and different things to do in my, in my spare time. And, um, one of those things was, you know, farming just in general, just like the idea of it. And we've always done, you know, uh, like market vegetables at, at the farm, you know, my, or outside, you know, my mom's garden, mm-hmm. you know, it's cause we always, always doing chores on the weekend. Right. And, <laughs> you know, that might've been planting tomatoes or prepping beds or building boxes. And so while I was going to school, I switched from engineering to poli sci and started doing that. And then that turned into getting a couple degrees, one in political science and then another one in philosophy and psychology. And so I was looking at those BAs and I'm going, what am I going to do? And I thought I was going to go to grad school and I had a lot of support from my professors at Eastern, but there was just like this gnaw in the back of my head about, you know, doing something you know, in terms of like a farm, because I was watching Curtis Stone and Diego, nice. Diego Footer and all of what they were doing. And so on the weekends, dad and I built a, uh, a multi-tier aquaponic system mm-hmm. and we had it all built, all the controllers ready to rock and roll. And we were like, yeah, let's do this. And then we looked at the regulatory field for fish and protein just in general. And we we're like, man, this is kind of a huge undertaking for mm-hmm. a little hobby. And um, I sort of, looked at it and I said, you know, well, it's either I go to grad school, go away, or I, you know, hang out here in Spokane, stay near family and what have you. And ultimately it was like parents had me later in life. I kind of want to spend a lot of time with them and my family. Everybody's here in Spokane, don't want to go. And so I was like, listen, you know, I have this idea. Mm-hmm. We have, um, you know, this land that's not being used. My parents live on 12 acres and um, there was roughly 2000 square feet of unused indoor space. And I was like, you know, I think we could grow these things called microgreens and they're familiar with sprouts. Um, you know, cause they used to be a big deal for a long time until yes, they got smashed. They were <laughs> until, you know, into the ground in terms of regulation and stuff. Cause I think they can get more people sick than tomatoes. And so, mm-hmm. uh, cause I remember growing up eating sprout ham and cheese sandwiches so once I explained to him, you know, these are basically sprouts um, and like we can grow them inside. I'm like, yeah, I think we can. And I was really enamored with the farmer's markets. And so right around the time I graduated, we were tearing out because my parents, they live in this farmhouse where the people who built it, built it for them and their adult daughter who was, who was married and had kids. Mm. And so the first floor is a house and then the basement or the second floor is also a house. So it has all the hookups for all the power draw that you would need for an indoor farm. Oh, awesome. And so we just tore everything out of that area. You know, what what is what was their kitchen is now one of our grow spaces. What was their laundry room is now a grow space. Their living room's a grow space. And and we tore it all out and we started we started doing microgreens kind of. My mom wasn't super behind it initially. Mm-hmm. But then I think we landed a few restaurants and she was really excited and we got into the farmer's markets like immediately. I think we we're doing four right off the rip. You know, one, I think we had a Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday market split. And then we were picking up uh, restaurants, uh, you know, in the interim. But, you know, kind of like I said, it started out as a hobby really. That's more awesome than, though. More than anything. Yeah. The aquaponics system. I mean, that's where my, really my heart is. I would l- love to do aquaponics more frequently, but, um, it's just one of those things where it's uh, the regulatory space is really difficult for that, but also um, it's a much more complicated process, I mm-hmm. think, than people really give it credit for. But it's I think it's kind of the way of the future. I'd like to get into that eventually soon. Uh, TM, maybe. Yeah. That'd be nice. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind me asking, I, I still don't understand the difference between a sprout and a microgreen. Fundam- okay. Fundamentally, they're almost exactly the same except the methodology to get the product is different right so basically everything is a sprout at some point Mm -hmm. but not everything's a microgreen um and the way that you can get that difference is the big one is add light to the to the grow methodology so 
you know, sprouts, you could take, you could take a water bottle and you could theoretically grow sprouts. You put seeds in there, you put water, you devoid the product of light. And then eventually they start reaching for whatever they can and you get sprouts, you consume the seed and whatever plant material is there as well. With microgreens, you grow them in a flat or just like you would do a start, Mm -hmm. right? And, but then you harvest away from the medium. And so So you don't touch that soil. Yeah. You're not touching the soil. You're not consuming the seed. Also, there is a significant amount of chlorophyll in the product, the Mm -hmm. microgreen in comparison to the sprout. And so, like I said, you know, they're so similar and even some restaurants will call them sprouts, right? Technically in Washington, um, I don't know if they hold this classification anymore, but at one point I was reading that they were like some a hazardous plant material because the way that you grow them to get the product is is fairly dangerous in mm-hmm. in terms of you know uh, foodborne illness. Grow the bad microbes as well. Yes, exactly. You know when you put anything in darkness where there's moisture, uh, yeah. it's you know you're rolling the <laughs> dice in some capacity, yeah. and and I mean that's that's just. And that's why you don't see sprouts by anybody really in Washington. They'll come from Idaho, mm-hmm. okay. but they're 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 fundamentally really similar. Um, I think the the big thing is just how you get get them. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that your farm is all indoor. Mm-hmm. Are microgreens? Can you grow them outside? Yeah, there's there's a bunch of people that do them outside. The problem with it is um, it's probably more more about consistency of grow Mm -hmm. so the reason why you would do them inside as opposed to outside is you get to control all the variables inside right temperature Mm -hmm. humidity lighting you know uh, par values etc the type of light you know you grow them outside you kind of induce a bit of risk but you can do it i've seen you know there's some guys up in canada that take a mini hoop house raise it off the ground put the flats in and then have the hoop come over the top. And then they, they basically line them up with a a drip system and grow them that way. But the problem with that is that you have to have fairly hardy micros. So I think it's kind of limited to your pea shoots, your sunflower shoots, Mm. those types of things. Cause with, uh, when you grow them that dense, there's not a lot of support for the product, like, like broccoli or whatever. They kind of have to, use each other to keep each other straight up and down. Okay. And so it definitely, you can do it outside. I would say that the cool thing about microgreens is you can do them almost anywhere inside. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking, Oh, I want to do microgreens, uh, just take a corner of your house, grab a five foot, you know, rack from home Depot, light it up with some LEDs and you're rocking and rolling. It's really simple. So you mentioned a bunch of challenges that are, for outside grow, what was the biggest challenge you faced when starting your farm? Um, well, I guess, uh, like nuts and bolts wise on the, on the grow side of the coin, um, no matter what you do in, 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 in farming, at least in my experience, there are, there's always some variables. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the flat itself, you know, it's a, it's a pretty moist environment, so you can definitely get spot mold if you're not careful. And it can, since you have them right next to each other, you can have that jump and spread fairly easily. But from the a farm business perspective, I would say just getting uh, a chef to sit down with me um, is probably the biggest hurdle. Not so much anymore, but starting, it's like, who are you? Why should I care? Right. You know? And so I think, in terms of you know uh the the farm and you know how it orients itself it's like figure out what your marketplace is that was definitely the biggest one of the bigger hurdles you know understanding where our place was mm-hmm. um in spokane and on the plate uh that was that was a big thing but like growing itself inside it's as as long as you have enough time to grow a lot of flats and to, to screw up. Cause I'm a big proponent of the, you learn the most when you, when you fail, like oh, that's yeah. a huge, 
<laughs> I take, I'll take that to the grave. The more times you can fail, the more times you're going to learn. I think that's actually the motto at our farm. Yeah. I, I, and I think with anything worth doing, you know, you definitely have to incur some failure and you have to uh, approach the problem and go, you know what? That's okay. If I have the time to fail, then I have the time to learn. And, um, with microgreens, you get to, if you can grow enough of them and fail enough, you're, you're going to learn a lot really quickly. And like a lot of the farms here, just microgreens in general, I bet you, you wouldn't be able to find a lot of difference in quality mm-hmm. just because everybody, it's not rocket science. You can do a lot. And I think, um, you know, because of the turnover rate being like 14 days for some long grow microgreens or even 10 or seven days, depending, you have a lot of chances to figure out what you did wrong. Whereas like in your, your farm, I mean, I don't know how many harvests you go through, but the grow times are much longer. So the product that you're looking for might be three months down the pipe mm-hmm. where my product is seven, 10, 14 days. Okay. So, I mean, we get hundreds of harvests a year. I love that turnover hearing that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's how you learn, right? It's like the product for me, broccoli microgreens is only 10 days old. And so that, I get to look at that every 10 days and go, where did we go wrong? What did we do? You know, every week, twice a week, dozens of times a month. Mm-hmm. So that's really. Wow. So a week to two weeks is the grow time for microgreens. For most of them. For yeah. most of them. For the ones that we really focus on. Now I have chef specials that okay. I'll grow. They could be 20, 25 days. Like uh, basil would be one of them. Okay. Um, or, you know, cilantro could take maybe 16, 17 days, roughly speaking. Um, but yeah, I think like the majority of the micros that you'll see, the brassicas, pea shoots, sunflowers, you know, that's 10 days is a good, good average. We grow them a little longer because we're looking for something visually on our pea shoots or on our sunflowers. Okay. And so we'll let them go. But you don't have to. Okay. You don't have to do that. So. Well, that was my next question. So how do you know the microgreens are ready to go and they're ready to go ahead? I mean, I can... Do you taste them? Do you just look for oh, a physical feature? <laughs> yeah. as, as a farmer, you should always be tasting. <laughs> yeah, products, I think right? like as long as I look at the product and I go, you know, does it visually meet the criteria for who it's going to? Okay. My, uh, the range of variables that I take into account, uh, you know, are, are they're far smaller for a farmer's market. Like if that tray looks halfway decent and it's not, you know, a couple hours away from wilting and, and dying, it's going to get packaged and it's going to go to the farmer's market. Now with a chef, totally different ball game. You know, I will pick through the best that I, that I find. And, you know, no, nothing against like doing business at, um, you know, our grocery stores, our grocery stores know this. It's like, they're at the tail end of the de- decision spectrum, you know, like mm-hmm. they get what I have left after the chefs are, are taken care of because, to them, quality is is more important, but consistency of that product is even more important. So, my pea shoots week to week can't look different, mm-hmm. you know. That and so that's a that's a big thing for us in terms of when I know they're ready to go. Are they going on my salad because they're ready seven, <laughs> yeah. ten days? You know, are right. you know smoothies same thing? You know, they're uh, as soon as they're tall enough for me to get a, a a knife underneath of them and take them down, they're they're good to go. Like, uh, I mean, I remember when we were doing all those farmer's markets, we couldn't keep up for a period of time because we had to shorten our grow grow timeline. And so we ended up incurring a little bit of loss in terms of what we could potentially get off of flat, you know, eight ounces per tray versus, you know, at 10 days versus six ounces, six ounces at eight or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you can totally do that. You know, you can, you can let them get, you know, little, little baby or you can let them go and, they're, they're not going to look too terribly dissimilar. You'll get a little bit more stem, a little bit more bite, maybe a little bit more defined flavor on some of the things like radishes and nasturtiums. Um, but for the most part, it just, it just depends on what you're using them for. You know? mm-hmm. um, there's no diff. I think people will probably say, oh, true leaf and cotyledon stage, right? So you get the, the true and then the cotyledon after that. That's what you lose the microgreen designation once they start getting... Gotcha. Bigger than that. It's once really, those, yeah. Yeah. Once those, once those secondary leaves start to come into play, it's like, okay, they're not really a microgreen anymore. They're starting to get into that baby green esque 
somewhere in there. Now, mm-hmm. I don't look at it that way. If they're tiny, you know, they're microgreens to me. So we don't really go grow any baby greens, even though at some point they might definitionally <laughs> turn into that at some point. But I don't stress it too much. So do you have any advice as far as dealing with chefs? Uh, and I ask this because I hear a lot of things throughout the farmers. They're hard to deal with. They're not hard to deal with. What's your advice for someone who's trying to get into the, sh- to the chef industry? Oh, boy. That is, that is a tough question. Um, I mean, is it just the, the right attitude? Is it just the don't worry about what they say and just keep pushing your product? Or No, it's definitely, you definitely need to read the room, right? Mm-hmm. And I would also say, like in a lot of things, life, uh, dating, you know, be prepared for a lot of rejection. Like that's, <laughs> that's good advice, you know, but just keep <laughs> going, you know, that's, yes. that's the way, you know, like, uh, I think I've talked to hundreds of chefs and some of them, we don't, we don't necessarily have the right approach to whatever they need and we don't do business and that's okay. Um, maybe they're looking for a particular product that I can't grow. That's also okay. You know, be ready to incur a lot of failure. But what I would say is be, be very flexible. Um, it took me a long time to realize this, but we don't, when it comes to our relationships with chefs, I don't think we really sell microgreens. I think we sell consistency and convenience mm-hmm. because in this spot here in Spokane, they have a lot of unique variables being a chef. And I'd go to venture and say, even just maybe me, I won't speak for you guys, but a lot of chefs work harder than a lot of other people on the, on the front end of the industry in terms of like farmers and delivery men and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. These guys have an immense responsibility, um, you know, taking care of staff, Mm -hmm. prepping menus, sourcing products. And so what you want to be is the easiest part of their day. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather grow microgreens in terms of like the quality spectrum seven out of 10 versus 10 out of 10. If I can do that seven out of 10 every week for these guys and they would take that because, um, you know, they'll, they'll constantly be calling like Charlie's us, Spopro, Perones, and they can't find what they need and you should always have what they need. So like for us, we grow more than what we sell every week and we charge enough that if those chefs need to change, they can change on a whim. As long as I'm not driving to their restaurant with product, you know, hey, man, we don't have enough covers this week. You know, we're going to need to cut it by 50%. It's like, that's totally fine. I expect that. And that's, we bake it into the, to the price that we sell our products at. So that way, A, they feel the ability that they can cancel whenever. Mm -hmm. And we don't care if they cancel. So I guess long winded explanation, be super flexible, but also be tenacious, you know, like, don't be afraid to walk in and knock on doors and ask the front house staff, Hey, is your chef in? Can I talk to him? I'm trying to sell some product, you know? Mm -hmm. Now that might be pretty daunting for a lot of people. I know for me, it was, it was tough initially, but again, once you get around the whole, uh, you know, rejection curve, um, it becomes pretty straightforward. You know, I have three or four things I'm going to tell them. Are they interested? If they're not move on, Mm -hmm. you know, um, there's plenty of fish in the sea. So Mm -hmm. that's really good advice, actually really well put too. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit more about the business selling aspect of well-grown farms and from where you started originally to where you are now. Um, so no more farmer's markets. That's the first one. Okay. Uh, I think the, that was probably one of the harder decisions I had to, I had to yeah. make. And it was definitely one that I didn't take lightly because we started there mm-hmm. and we enjoy the farmer's market. Like there is nothing, you can't say a bad thing about a farmer's market, right? right. The people are great. The music's great. The atmosphere's great. The food's great. Everything about it's great. I think on our end, what ended up happening was we were putting a lot of effort into a place where, uh, there wasn't any reliability on the outcome of that effort. And so if you think about a farmer's market and Dwayne, I'm sure you know this too, their business model is volume of vendors. Mm-hmm. And so if I had been in a farmer's market for a couple of years and we were the only microgreen group and then two more come into the farmer's market, maybe we were making 
you know, $500 in sales or something like that. Now that's divided by three. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, uh, that, that took us a little bit to understand because we thought that there was maybe a bit more of a connection to that market than, uh, that, than there really was. And so we started to look at and go, okay, well, where there were only us doing just microgreens, I'm not talking about the farms that, do everything Mm -hmm. because there are plenty of farms that do that. And farmers markets need that. You need a farm that consistency and convenience, you know, you need a farm that's the cornerstone where you could, you know, literally walk in and get your weeks full of groceries. You have to shop. Yeah. One stop shop. You have to have it. And then everything else is kind of window dressing niche product. Right. And that's where we fit in. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you add two or three more of those, you're not doing those microgreen farmers any, any favors. You're actually forcing them to compete all the way down to the bottom, right? You know, you start at X dollars and then they change theirs and then they change (laughs) theirs and then we change theirs and and it just keeps going down and down until it doesn't make any sense financially. And so we looked at it and we said, you know, I, I'm kind of made a judgment call. I was like, I bet we can increase our prices with the restaurants and quit doing the farmer's markets. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. And um, it was kind of forced upon us with the pandemic too. It's like we incurred a lot of seed cost increase and soil too, because we source our soil from Canada. So mm. the logistics cost to get that too. And then all the plastics that we use, the the recyclables also went up. Everything went up. So it was like, yeah. okay, let's increase the prices to account for that. And then let's increase the prices a little bit more. So that way we can pull ourselves out of the farmer's markets that was probably one of the better decisions we decided to make because now we have more time to do other things. Mm-hmm. Farmers markets are a huge amount of time. It's not just the farmers market. It's the proper. It's, it's the, the setup. Yeah, it's the takedown. It's the packaging preemptive to that. Um, all the prep that goes into it, you know, it could be a six hour plus adventure. Now multiply that by how many markets you have, right? Mm-hmm. And all of that produce, we have no idea if it's going to sell. And I can't turn around and sell it to a chef afterwards, right? So now we look at it and go, okay, let's take all that volume that we were growing for the farmer's markets. Let's go find more chefs to do that. So we really just dropped the wholesale arrangement at the farmer's markets and went straight to B2B uh, with, the, with the restaurants and just continued to do that. And I think that was... Again, one of the harder decisions. I didn't. I didn't like doing that because Mackenzie, my girlfriend, she really took on the farmers market. She role. really was your face at the yes. farmers market. You know this, <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly, all the time, all the time, right? And <laughs> yes. so she, like, I would come in on an early, like, in the morning, get all of her stuff ready. She'd take that in the afternoon, evening, or whatever. She made a lot of friends. She met yes. a lot of cool people. Yeah. And then you know, I did at length talk with her about it. I was like, listen, like if if we do it this way, A, I, you'll have more time to do other things, you know, and you could still go to the farmer's market, right? We just won't be there as a, as a vendor, but I think it'll benefit the farm as a whole mm-hmm. to, to do this. Initially, it was tough. We didn't see the immediate, you know, results, but we kept, kept to it. You know, I kept looking for more farm, more restaurants and um, it ended up, being great because now you know we work less and make more like that's the dream right? yeah that is you the know, dream so that's where we're at but it, the sales model didn't change too much just we decided to focus on that restaurant aspect mm-hmm. almost 100 percent. i'd say like 85 90 percent okay mm-hmm. are you guys doing any csas local csas or anything like that i think right if uh we will be okay um and one of your questions was, what's, what's the future like if I, yeah, cause we're, we have started, we built the foundation. We have the electrical work all done pretty much. We're expanding into full grown produce. We're getting, we, we purchased or in the process of purchasing a turnkey custom hydroponic system from California in this, okay. like in this big, huge pod and they're um, stackable and you can, kit them together and i think each one of those pods can do about like four thousand pounds of produce a week Hmm. huge huge amounts of produce and um i think our 
it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. And we're, we are, we don't have it. We have it online, but we haven't released it yet because we're retooling our website and our marketing plan. But what will end up happening is we have a couple of tiers for a microgreen CSA. And if you get the three and six month CSA, we'll start delivering immediately. But that also puts you on the list for our full grown CSA when we get the pods finished and built because those pods are for the restaurants. They have a list of different things mm-hmm. and commitments that we have to fulfill. And so I think we'll start out with about a hundred CSAs right off the bat. And then, um, and then I'll be pretty much ex- like exactly what I think you're doing, you know, veg and uh, for us micros, you know, yeah. we'll some herbs. Some yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, soon. Mm-hmm. that's that we we didn't do the csas initially and the reason was because we did not get the type of response from the farmer's market that we thought we were going to get um microgreens are still fairly unknown yeah they really people. are yeah and i think we maybe because i think like maybe 60 percent of the time we spent on farmer's market was just educating people like what's a microgreen what do i use it for uh, that's the biggest thing we found at the farm. Nobody knows what to use it for. Like, how do you use it? How do you use and it? I'm yeah. basic. I'm like, well, you throw it on a sandwich. It's good. Put it in your eggs. Put it in your eggs. There you your go. smoothies. You know, do you like pasta with vegetables? Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. You know, it's really, it's quite easy, but at the same time, it's new. That's and good. I think when, when we lost sprouts for, you know, like you go to your local restaurant or your sandwich shop and they used to always have sprouts or whatever. Right. When that stopped happening, I think, the idea of microgreens also kind of plummeted along with it. And yeah, so now we're kind of working our way back up for people to learn. Like these are your basic vegetables, you know, like for example, you can't eat a full grown sunflower, but you can eat a sunflower microgreen. Right. So um, people are learning, you know, and I think there's a niche group of people out there that definitely just want micros. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to find them, but they, they definitely exist. I think it's more, more, um, ingrained on the west side mm-hmm. you know i love spokane i think it, it's still a meat and potatoes town you know? <laughs> and yeah. uh, an amazing meat and potatoes town but still a meat and potatoes town yeah you know? so I, our job is to turn into a meat and potatoes with microgreens on top yeah of exactly yeah, right sprinkles yeah, microgreens little, little, little garnish yeah no yeah. i i love that yeah <laughs> definitely so uh tell us what are some of the restaurants that your microgreens are sold at? Well, shout out the ones that are the closest to my heart. Okay. Because they brought us on first. I was gonna say, who was your first? Um our first big one was Hey Jay's. <gasps> they love Hey Jay's. Yes. Uh, oh yum. Out in Liberty Lake. Out in Liberty Lake. Okay, yep. yep. Pat has been a longtime customer of ours. Uh, the head chef who's no longer there, he's moving on to do other things. Sean is a very close friend of mine. Um, but Travis Dickens at Cochinitos, um, oh, yes. Michael Wiley at Wiley's, uh, and then Palm Court and the Davenport, uh, hotel restaurants. Those were kind of our first really up, awesome. upcoming, you know, restaurants. The Davenport was probably our biggest land just in general. Cause once we had the Davenport, then, you know, Adam Hegstead was willing to have a meeting with me with Aaron and, now we do all the microgreens for all their restaurants and um, Beverly's and Coeur d'Alene's, another big one, Jim. That guy is one of my best customers, one of the best human beings that I've had the privilege of doing business with. Um, he, in fact, just hooked me up with his close friend at Blackrock, the that country club mm-hmm. down there. So we'll be doing business there. And then all of the resort banquets, uh, Bill Hill, he's a great guy. He's order a lot from us um jesse at seasons him and well his sous chef justin claba justin used to work they both used to work at the eco group and then justin went to gauzer ranch and brought us in at gauzer and then now he's doing other things justin and i are very close he's uh, also set me up with a bunch of his restaurant friends and 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 whatnot i'd grow anything for justin if he asked me to in fact i have uh, grown some odd things for Justin. <laughs> um, you know, whatever, wherever he goes, I go that sort of thing. And and then of course, like I said, the Gaza ranch, those guys have been a great land for us. Cause you know, if you're at Gaza, you definitely 
have your stuff together. Uh, yeah, I was just like, that's yes. a big name yes, you just dropped. That's congratulations. That one was so random too. Cause it was like, I think February of 2020. So right before everything was like, you know, shutting down, um, or might've been 21. I'm not, I'm not sure. Can't remember. Justin called me. He's like, Hey, I'm at this place and, uh, Will Ferrell eats here. I'm like, okay, well <laughs> say no more. I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, let's, what do you want? I'll grow it. You know? And so, yeah, but those are, those are kind of the big ones. There's just a bunch of other accessory ones, you know, um, Cooney at Cooney's Bistro up on the North side. She's also an, an OG. She's helped a lot. And, uh, I don't know if you guys have eaten at Kismet, but that's a oh, I, that's on my list. Dan yeah, Gonzalez is might go there this weekend. He's a wonderful human being as well. Um, I think him and his significant started that place, and it's really good. So there's, I think we're thirty plus thirty five right now, something like that. Maybe maybe scooting up to forty. I think. What's your goal? Mm, I think if we could do another another 20 or 30 by 23 or 24 i think that would be a really good spot for us to kind of you know kind of go i think that's good on the restaurant side yeah. direct like mm -hmm. yeah because right now i mean i'll drive eight to ten hours on a wednesday you know it's like to get everybody's delivery done so another eight to ten split up between two other days because we'd have to split them up i think that would be a good spot for mm -hmm. us to to be in general. Awesome. So Jacob, can you just talk to us a little bit about the different types of microgreens you grow and, and their different flavors and benefits to the consumer? Yeah, I think, um, I like to, st I'll start with my favorite and the one that I eat the most and that's pea shoots. Okay. I think everybody should grow pea shoots at their house. Um, I think that's actually one of your questions, you know, where, where would, you know, somebody start if they were going to grow micros? And I say pea shoots hundred percent. Okay. They're easy to grow. You get a lot of them off the tray. They're sweet. They're crunchy. The utility of them is immense. You know, you get a long, you know, pea tendril, let's say the top can be used for your sandwiches. The bottom can be used for stir fry. You know, it's mm. sweet, which is, I think, palatable to everybody. Oh, yeah. It's kind of hard finding people that don't like peas at least in our area because i think everybody kind of grew up on peas and carrots right yeah so if you can find something that hits those markers you know flavor wise um you're gonna have a good time some flowers taste like a baby carrot so those two together i'd say would be you know if, if you're gonna grow anything grow those seed availability is really really good too you can get a bunch of different types um and i think on the sweet side of that spectrum, that's kind of where we're at. And then you kind of get towards the more, I would say like earthy, if that makes mm -hmm. sense, yep. more vegetable-y, if that, you know, like yeah. the brassicas, the kale, the cabbage, uh, you know, the kohlrabi, broccoli, broccoli tastes like broccoli. Like I mean, there's nothing else, you know, that tastes exactly like what it is. And mm -hmm. broccoli's right there. Um, and then you start to go, Oh, I guess on even more so on the sweet side, even further past pea shoots, we do um, popcorn shoots, which is just nice, like organic corn, popcorn, popping mm. corn that we grow um, without light. So they're deep yellow. And when you bite into them, it's, it's like high fructose corn syrup, you know, like <laughs> it's candy. It's very sweet. Oh, In wow. fact, I, I, I don't remember when it happened, but I think uh, Michael... Uh, at Wiley's, he used it for like a cornbread, cheesecake, something or other garnish. It's a dessert garnish, which is super rare. Like, that doesn't happen very much where you're like, you know what? My dessert needs a vegetable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that's very <laughs> Micro -green. odd. Microgreen. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's odd. So that's our sweetest. And then you just sort of move into, like I said, those earthy ones. And then the spicy ones are the radishes, the nasturtiums. We grow three different types of radish, China rose, daikon, sango purple, Um we we make we grow them in the same flat as a mix. We call it our night of spice mix, and uh, that's super popular. Really so we use daikons to till the soil. Yes, and you know as a cover crop. And you're yep. saying it's also a great microgreen. Yeah, it's actually I would say one of the best to have in your refrigerator for a long period of time. Mm. I think I I don't know what it is, but like the the ones that tend to do better underground. You know, your your radishes, uh, your carrots, your onions. In terms of microgreens, they are some of the hardiest. Like our onion crop, if I if I could grow one thing 
it would be onions because they never die. <laughs> Ever. I've never had a failure on a crop of onions. So that's the number one for beginners. Just go straight onions. Onions. Yeah. Onions, pea shoots. But onions are, I mean, you have to try to mess them oh. up. You really oh. do. Yeah. They, they, don't, they don't grow very dense and they kind of look a little odd. They look like grass, mm. but they're very much so like a kind of like a ramp, you know, very, very oniony. And does it matter if it's a bulb or a bunching? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. All of them. Uh, we've tried. We've tried a bunch. There's some that do better than others. I don't remember the the type we use right now. I think. I think it's a. I think it's a ramp. A wild ramp esque type. Um, but no. I mean, you got to think of it this way. Everything at one point was a microgreen. Yes. Right. right. So we've grown celery uh, as a microgreen. Um, mint as a microgreen. Literally, oh, basil is another one. It's mm. a microgreen. Shiso is a microgreen. So everything has been a microgreen. It's just, is it an efficient use of that crop or that that type of vegetable? Um, but yeah, I mean, pea shoots, onions, those are probably the the best. And all the nutrition is in the in the seed, and it comes out and is in the leaves with the yes. with the light. Is there anything that it's that microgreens are heavier on? I'm not exactly sure on that particularly. That's kind of more my dad's angle because he's a he's a physician, and so okay. he's really big on the 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 chemistry and the bioavailability of those nutrients in those products. I can say though that it it seems to be the case because we do cite a little bit of research on our on our website um, that actually the lady who wrote that gave me her paper. She was like, yeah, here, you can have it. And I was like, cool, thanks. I'm oh. going to put it on my website. She's like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> nice. And it, and it just kind of was uh, basically said that it seems to be the case that there is nutrient density in higher amounts in the more nascent stages of the plant. Mm-hmm. So you could think of it kind of like a pound of broccoli full grown versus a pound of microgreen broccoli potentiality there is that you get more nutrients from the pound of microgreen broccoli compared to the full grown broccoli. Now I would also say that that's a lot of broccoli, like a pound of microgreen broccoli. You're probably talking (laughs) about dozens of pounds of full grown broccoli. So you got to take that with a little grain of salt because if you're going to do it that way, you got to understand you're also not getting the full grown broccoli, Mm -hmm. but that's also, it's okay. That's kind of what we like to do anyway. So, Mm -hmm. and so you're saying your radish, Mix is one of your favorites. Do you have any yes. other favorite recipes that you have with the microgreens? We have three, four mixes. So the night of spice is our triple radish mix, like I stated previously, the China Rose, Daikon, Sango Purple. Um, and then we have our Purple Rain mix, which is Purple Vienna Kohlrabi, Red Russian Kale, and Red Acre Cabbage. And then we have a Colonel Mustard mix, which is... Tokyo Bacana, uh, Mizuno, Southern Giant, and I think um, I think Frill, Scarlet Frill mustard. I know I, that might not be right, but there's another mustard in there for sure. And then our Micromania takes Purple Rain, Colonel Mustard, puts them together, and then we put broccoli in there. We don't post-harvest mix, so this is all grown in the same flat. That's like a big regulatory thing. Like, Uh I do not (laughs) post-harvest mix, you know, just so everybody is aware. Everything's grown in the flat from seed, and we harvest it together, and that's what you get in the package. And the Micromania is easily our most popular, maybe not to chefs, but to our grocery stores, always sells you know, like huckleberries will get eight of everything and then, you know, 15 of the micromania or whatever, you know, it's always double. So those really popular. So how many different varieties of microgreens do you guys grow? We grow, I'd say probably 30, 40. Wow. Something like that. Um, now, are we always growing them? No, but we, I mean, we have a seed library. Okay. So, you know, if a chef comes in and says, hey, you know, do you grow this? The answer to that is typically, yeah, we do. I think a good example of this would be our, our basil. We grow um, Italian large leaf, Genovese, lemon basil, cinnamon basil, and then there's one more that we grow. Mm-hmm. But currently right now, we're only growing the Italian large leaf and the purple basil, right? Mm-hmm. But I can grow the other ones. And that's kind of across the board the case, you know, 
four or five different radishes. We're only growing three, but we have the other ones. Same with the mustards. Um, so I always like to have a little extra, you know, mm-hmm. just in case we get hit with a little, maybe a weird timeline on our, uh, our, on our seed delivery, you know, or something like that. But we have a library that we, we keep fairly stocked. I think like with our peas, I mean, I think we, I mean, we must have a thousand pounds of peas. I mean, it's, it's an insane amount of peas. Mm-hmm. So we're, we let mother nature pretty much dictate our rotation. What, what is it for y'all? When do you know when to put one of the other two radishes in or take one back or it's all, it's all scheduled out in terms of, um, you know, what are we trying to achieve in, uh, with like a restaurant or whatever, you know, um, with, with a rotation, it's, it is the same every week. And if we need to grow a little longer so we can have a fresh product for maybe a Saturday dinner Mm -hmm. that's going on, we'll let it go. Right. So I might harvest typically on a Tuesday, but if I'm going to have a Saturday dinner, I might baby that green all the way to Friday. So that way they can get a fresh product off the flat for Saturday. Um, but they're the only, the only thing we, so we break it down like this. There's planting, there's germination, there's assessment and harvest. And typically all of that takes place anywhere from 10, 14, 20 days. And our germ phase is the shortest planting and germing, right? So when you plant, I mean, I could go into a little bit of the technical, like how we just do it real quick. If that's yeah. fine. We just, you take a 10 by 20 flat. You grab your organic medium or whatever medium doesn't necessarily need to be organic. Uh, and then you wet that, you seed based on how many grams is for that particular product. So, you know, like purple rain might get 25 grams of seed, whereas uh, night of spice might get 50. And then you make sure they're watered, ready to go. Uh, you stack them up, you know, three high, and then you put them into a dark area where it's nice and warm or cool, depending on the product. You let those go for about three, four days. When the yellow starts to kind of creep around the sides of the 10 by 20, then you pull them out and you put them underneath light. And then that's the grow and assessment stage. Just assessment. You know, are these products going to do well? You know, and some right off right off the bat, you can tell like they're going to struggle. So we try to put them in an environment where we can get the most off of that flat. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes that just goes in the compost for us to use outside, you know, for our own, you know, sometimes we'll grow corn, tomatoes, whatever. That's not for the consumer. That's for us. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it'll go through assessment. That's, you know, can be seven to 14 days depending on the product. And, uh, then we harvest based on, you know, is it meeting the requirements of quality, you know, compared to the week previous. And um, I remember we used to take photos, but now it's so second nature <laughs> that we know, like, this pea does not look very good, you know, mm-hmm. so we need to do something about it, get them something different, comp them the, the product. Like, I know this isn't what you typically get, so I'm not going to charge you for it, that sort of thing. Um and then after assessment, it's harvest. And, you know, we look at the trays, we go, okay, these are the ones that we're going to cut down. These are our orders. And the orders are basically on a two-week schedule. So you're always you're going to get two weeks of green from us no matter what. And then you can cancel for the following week after that when you let me know. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of can see into the future by a couple weeks of what we're going to be able to do, excuse me, and how well we're going to be able to do it. And uh, then we just start packaging that product, cut it down with a chef knife, scissors, whatever, you know, I mean, it's different per product, like nasturtiums, you kind of have to get in there and cut them, you know, leaf by leaf, but then they hit the, hit the clamshells and then they go into the, uh, into the cooler and they get put into different little mobile coolers and I take them to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. Your business model is so flushed out. I'm loving hearing every point of this. It's, it's not like... I I think with microgreens, like I said, you get to learn a lot quickly. And so you have to be a bit precise. You know, always cutting on a Tuesday, always gotcha. for Wednesday delivery, no matter what. Um, if product needs to go on a little further, that's okay. 
you know, that's fine. Someone asked about the trays, though. So you said you're using two, 1020s. I've mm-hmm. seen people out there using cafeteria trays. You can do it. Does it make a difference on the root zone having that much medium versus not? I think so. Because uh, uh, the way that I'll put it this way is there's some products we grow in one inch 10 by 20s and there's some that we do two inch. I would never grow peas in a one inch. The roots are just too much. Too bound. Okay. Way too bound. Um, so it's about knowing your plant and, yes. and knowing your root zones and all that. And think about like peas, you know, they're a climber. So the more, the more root space they have, the better that they're going to do because then they can get more water and the water can go to the stem. The stem can keep growing those tendrils and on and on. I mean, pea tendrils, they could just keep on going, you know, <laughs> like, so there are some products that will do better in, in more medium and there will be some that do not so good. Gotcha. Yeah. But you Same could grow on a, on a, on a tray. I would say, you know, get, get the 10 by 20 They're They have the holes. They, they slip into another one inch, you know, so that way you can bottom water and flood the tray. Um, you're just going to end up having a far, far better time, you know, and they last a long time. And we got trays from 2018. Still going, still, still strong. Still going strong. Love uh, take care of them. They'll, they will take care of you. So, Jacob, you mentioned that you're looking to um, expand your portfolio, grow <laughs> double um, about nice. the amount of restaurants that you I have. I would love that, yes. Yeah. Um, so, on your website, you guys also talk about how this expansion, you guys will still be continuing to follow the principles of food and water security um, and also just decreasing the impact of climate change. Can you kind of talk to us a little bit about that and what's you know, some of those principles are. So for us going into 23, four and five, the goal is to um, utilize every type of source of clean energy that we can um, from electric delivery vehicles to using solar to help power our structures. Right now we use, um, you know, we're on a power grid, I guess you could say out there, but we also use propane and clean gas to help uh, mitigate some of those impacts. But I think the biggest one is just logistics Mm -hmm. in general. I want to avoid using a distributor at all cost. Um, And we have, we did have opportunities to go in with us foods Mm. and it would have worked, but also our greens are on, you know, trucks going wherever they want them to go. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely consider to do doing that again, but at the same time, it's not exactly conducive with our brand image and what we would like to do, which is to be a cornerstone of Spokane's produce scene. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can, because I have this conversation in my own head about why expansion makes sense and it's and it you know goes along the lines of what the restaurants tell me too it's you know they they get their you know a bunch of their uh herbs from Mexico or California you know and we're talking about a, a big truck coming from a different country to go mm-hmm. to California to then go to Washington when we can have an indoor environment that can satisfy all those needs and it's right in your backyard so just by just by taking the the business away from you know nothing against California I care about Washington more <laughs> you know just in general but by doing that you know kind of insulating our our footprint in Washington to local produce vendors you're you're going to be doing a much better job and by operating year round uh, with a low footprint or small footprint. I mean, we're only in a couple thousand square feet and we have a lot of reach mm-hmm. indoors and it would be the same thing with our pods, you know, a lot of reach with not a lot of footprint, not a lot of land, not a lot of water. Hydroponics is very water efficient, um, very energy efficient. LEDs, you know, they're basically the way of the future. I think how how farming is going to go in the next 10, 20 years is, you know, it'll, a lot of it will be indoors just because the, the methods that you use to get the product cost less from 
an energy perspective. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, people go, oh, well, the sunlight is the best form of energy. It's like there's solar panels for that. You know, <laughs> we can still do that. We can still achieve that, uh, but in greater volumes and on lower footprints and not hundreds of miles away. Mm-hmm. And that's the big one, like mm-hmm. just reducing fuel costs in general or logistics costs for consumers. That's the big one. Absolutely. Uh, in pretty much every way, shape and form. I mean, you, you save, you save a lot by doing that. I don't know the calculations on that. I'd love to just do the math and be like, you know, how many gallons of gas would I be saving? You know, somebody, you know, if they only got herbs from me instead of from California, mm-hmm. or if they only got herbs from everybody in Spokane instead of California and Mm-hmm. that's kind of the big one really yeah well and that's such a great message too you know um there's a lot of people to kind of blow the whistle on um being sustainable and being mm-hmm. regenerative and then they're buying their groceries for um timbuktu yes and it's like you know it, it contributes to the problem and i and i think spokane is like really we're we're kind of new into it i think like seattle and mm-hmm. they at least in my experience of going over there, there seems to be a far better foundation for that type of success mm-hmm. in terms of buying local. I think Spokane is getting into that really, really strong. There's more people here. There's more money coming here. Uh, people want greens that are closer to them, yep. you know, now more than ever. I mean, when we had that, I don't remember when it was, but it, there was like a bunch of news coming about, uh, you know, all the nutrient loss you lose when, you know, three days into a pack and it's like, yeah, I mean, okay, well then go to your farmer's market and buy some from vets on a farm, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Uh, it's just going to always be better. And so that's why doing the indoor thing, you know, makes sense, you know, expanding. Uh, it offers us the opportunity to give our restaurants what they want, but also become a whole you know, a stronger CSA platform for our local consumers. Cause that's really the goal. I don't want to just, I don't want to be just a, uh, a garnish. I love that. Nothing against my restaurants. Love those dudes, but I am a garnish, you know, well-grown farms is a garnish and I'd like to be more of a, a whole dish. Yeah. Indeed. If that makes sense, yeah. you know, whether it be now or, or later. Mm-hmm. Well, Jacob, this has been such a fabulous interview with you. You have Thank such you. a great story to tell. I love that it's just a total family affair. Don't you yes. agree with the family? Oh, I, I love mean, it. And that's... I also love, Jacob, you're a first-generation farmer. Yes. Oh, all yeah. of us are, right? All of you are. Yeah, nice. all of us are. We went from, you know, doing a little hobby stuff to actually like, okay, now we're farmers. We're humble microgreen farmers. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome that it started as a hobby and now it's a, you know, great business i hope that there's a chef out here out there listening to this episode right now so. that is gonna call you and contact you to get your awesome. microgreens in their restaurant so tell our listeners the best way to get a hold of well-grown farms i think the best thing is just to call the business number and if i don't pick up leave a voicemail and i will definitely get back to you that's the easiest it's always on me you and know. you guys are on social media you got a website we do have a website you can leave a you can sign up for our newsletter we really don't have a newsletter mm-hmm. so to speak but that puts you in our mailchimp account so that way once the csa is kicked up and rolling you'll be getting our updates a lot of our social media engagement it's not it's not very big we're really word of mouth between chefs mm-hmm. but if you give us a phone call we're, we'll definitely you know you have any questions about how to grow something I'm, i'll answer and I'll, I'll tell you it's no big deal you know awesome. if you want to get some greens for a dinner that you're going to have with your significant yeah i'll hook you up it's no big deal you know <laughs> awesome you go. love it yeah easy <laughs> well we know you're busy with deliveries today so we don't want to take up too much more time but we can't let you out out of the hot seat without doing the spitfire round perfect so <laughs> you ready mm-hmm. i'm excited okay so i'm on this tenacious d kick right now so i gotta mm-hmm. ask what's your favorite tenacious d song oh i can't I can't say it. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't say it. Yeah, no. Favorite then? Uh, I'll just say what my favorite favorite from Jack Black is, and, okay. and that is his rendition of War Pigs by Black Sabbath. Ooh, nice. Heck it yeah. is so good. Um, I have that in my YouTube library. Whenever I want, it's just in in the music library. You know, it's ever on every once in a while. But I'm definitely gonna download that and jam it out in the truck. Yeah, it's so good. It is so good. Yes. 
Uh, Jacob, do you have like a special skill or talent that not many people know about? Oh, I'm a very mid-tier beatboxer. Oh, I won't do it here, but I can. <laughs> I was like, do not tempt us. No, we no. My, my girlfriend knows, you know, long, long road trips. You're getting music from me and the radio. That's awesome. Yeah. That's way to be. What's your favorite movie? And do you have a quote? Oh, man. My favorite movie. That is a tough one. Holy cow. I, I'm, I'm not... I'm kind of an amateur cinephile, so I've watched a lot. My dad has a huge Blu-ray DVD library. Um, I don't have a favorite quote, but I do have a favorite movie. Uh, and it's because I used to watch it all the time with my dad. We thought it was just the funniest movie growing up. It's called Secondhand Lions. Oh, yes. Oh, You've seen that? That's really good. I will watch that. Well, so you can watch it with kids. You yep. can watch it with adults. Everybody is going to like that movie, and it's got some great actors in it that kind of carry it. And every time I think about, like, whoop, you know, if I'm not going to watch a movie, but if I you know, feel like I should watch a movie, you know, like, what am I going to watch? I'll watch Secondhand Lines. It's that good movie. awesome. Love that movie. Um, okay, so when you're not working or making some business moves, uh, what can be? What are you usually doing? I, are you guys familiar with Discord? Any yep. chance? Yep. Yes, Discord. I know that it's, word, uh, but I can't. It's kind of like, drawing a blank. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, it's kind of like Skype, but you 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 create your own like server for people to congregate and you oh. you know share you know whatever your hobby might be. It might be farming. It might be you know, pick a, pick a hobby. It might be anything. Okay. I own uh, a server on discord for, it's called an LFG, which means looking for group for a video game. That's very difficult, but, uh, and there's no like way to teach people how to play it via the video game. So the people who know how to play it, we teach others. We volunteer our time to just teach people how to, you know, at least learn how to enjoy that game. Cause it's very popular. It's also Russian. So, a lot of the things are in Russian. So if you haven't taken the time to listen to somebody translate it, which I have, unfortunately oh. or fortunately. I was yeah. just going to ask, do you know Russian? I don't know. I mean, I know some of it. I can't speak it. But if somebody were to say something, we'd be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Like, okay. um, but during the pandemic, I like bought a gaming computer and like actually started to like, play more online video nice. games with some homies. And we uh, we landed on this game and started up we have like 1100 members in the server so if i'm not you know out golfing or you know shooting with the with mackenzie you know trap or skeet or hunting or something like that probably hanging out on my server with my friends and either playing some games playing golf with friends or just listening to music watching a movie or something you know nice. so a lot of my friends are not in spokane they're they kind of, yeah, they own. all over the place. I mean, they either were in Washington for a period of time and they, you know, college went home, mm -hmm. you know, working somewhere else. And so we keep in touch by staying on the server and stuff rather than phone calls. That's yes. kind of, it's a bit old now, I think. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. And then one question we always have to ask our, our guests, uh, Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Rolling Stones. Oh, right. they right. haven't been mentioned in the last few, so it's been a while. One yeah. for Rolling Stones. One for Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah, I think if I, you know, the Beatles. I mean, Paul McCartney. You know, yeah, that that would be that'd be a different answer. Maybe? Yeah, that'd be a different okay. answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Jacob, thank you so much. We'll let you get back on the road. We know you yes. got some deliveries to do. more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, listeners or chefs out there, um, if you're interested in picking up some microgreens, make sure that you get a hold of Well Grown Farms. You can reach them uh, via their website or phone. The website is wellgrownfarms.org. And get a hold of Jacob. Get those microgreens in. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. 
You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.